Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. I am your host, Doris Hansen, and it is a privilege to be able to host this program where we can discuss the subject of polygamy and minister biblical truths to polygamists. And we do hope that you enjoy the discussion that we have prepared for you tonight. You know, there, there's a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5, and it tells us, quote, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her, end quote. You know, this scripture is often misused, and it's used often by polygamists and by others who don't study the context of the passages that they read. They claim that in this passage, God is commanding polygamy in this verse, but it isn't in the verse. It isn't in the entire passage. You can read it, and you won't find polygamy there. Uh, We don't read anywhere that the surviving brother is already married. And we also need to understand by this context that the widow may decline marrying her husband's brother if she chooses to. This is not a commandment to practice polygamy in any sense or in any stretch of the imagination. Some Sadducees and Pharisees in Jesus' day, who also did not know scriptural concepts, tried to trick Jesus by using a story based on this verse in Deuteronomy. And we're going to discuss that conversation tonight, the one that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And our guest for this discussion is Pastor Jim Catlin of the Main Street Church in Brigham City. He's been our guest uh, on our show in the past, and he's shared God's Word with us about other biblical teachings that affect uh, what the doctrines that polygamists believe. So I would like to introduce and welcome to our show again tonight, Pastor Jim Catlin. Good to be back. Love Good to, to have I, you back. I'd love to be back here and talking about the Bible yeah. and Jesus. So. Yeah, and bring truths and to, bring some truths. where there's confusion, right. it seems. Yeah. So tonight we're going to look into what Jesus had said in response to the Pharisees when they came to right. him with this question right. and about celestial marriage. But right. first of all, why is it important to our listeners? Well, yeah, let's get the ground rules straight. If you're a follower of Joseph Smith, then there's no question that marriage plays a huge role in the afterlife for you, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's just that's, that's just part, part of, of the it. And just right. in case you don't believe me, I know most <laughs> of our watchers, you know, they understand that. Uh, I went to Gospel Principles, which is actually the simplest source for systematic doctrine for LDS Mormonism, uh, and it and it quotes this. It says actually on page two twenty, talking about this, it says that Heavenly Father has given us the law of eternal marriage, so we can become like Him. The Lord has said, and here's where it quotes DNC one thirty one. In the celestial glory, there are three heavens or degrees, and in order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood, and then it says in parentheses, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. But if he does not, he cannot obtain it. So clearly, uh, at least in followers of Joseph Smith, whether you're fundamentalist or LDS or, or whatever brand you are, 
Um, jo it started with Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. Marriage has a huge impact in your final destiny uh, in, you know, as you progress, as you ex are exalted through this right. mortality. So, right. um, so it's just a big deal. So if that's the case, if it's, I mean, just think for yourself, the watchers, if, if, if while you're in meetings and, and you hear teachings or you're in gospel doctrines class, if you hear a lot talked about about marriage, then you need to listen up right now and, and listen and see. Uh, I think the best way to figure out whether or not what you're being taught is correct is to look at it in the Bible. So right. what we're going to do tonight deliberately is we're going to allow the Bible to comment on what you're being taught in the church as opposed to what you're being taught in the church to tell you about what the Bible is. So right. that's what we're going to do. We're going to turn the tables and see if we can actually... Uh, make those two agree. And I, I quote Bruce McConkie a lot. I know Bruce McConkie is kind of a controversial guy, but he said it very clearly. He said, if we believe the truth, we can be saved. If we believe a lie, we shall surely be damned. So the question tonight is, is marriage a part of your eternal destination? And according to Bruce McConkie, this just let's get down to truth and find out. Well, and according to Bruce McConkie, he was a firm believer in living polygamy in heaven. I mean, of course, now, yeah, now right. at, at the time he was here, no polygamy was available for this life, but he but did believe in the right. afterlife in polygamy. Right. So yeah. should we even expect Jesus to speak on the issue of celestial marriage? I mean, maybe it's not milk. Maybe it's meat. Maybe it's too big stuff. Yeah, yeah and I've, I've gotten this response sometimes from folks where they say, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those really big doctrines. It's one of those things that, you know, we don't just put anywhere. Well, I, no. I mean, as I look through uh, what's taught in the Mormon church, um, I don't know much about what's taught in fundamentalist churches, so you can kind of tell me about that. But, um, but from when you're very young, you're taught about the fact that you have to get married, that your marriage to someone who is also, uh, if you're a woman, to someone who's a priesthood holder, it's a really big deal. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I would say, and correct me, you can call in later, I would say that this is probably in the top five doctrinal emphases for those who follow Joseph Smith. Probably no in the in the fundamentalist in the polygamy churches it is probably number one number one yeah, yeah but that's right. what makes them what they are yeah. and they do begin teaching it as soon as you're old enough to understand polygamy that yeah. uh, old enough to keep a secret on why your father has so many wives <laughs> yeah, right. that's when you can start learning about uh, yeah, so plural it's marriage very, it's so young from and from then on up that's right. all you so hear I would, so I would I would consider this milk doctrine and not meat doctrine and as such then if if uh, you know. According to the Articles of Faith, Jesus is His atonement allows us to be exalted, but only if we follow the ordinances. I would expect Jesus to tell us mm -hmm. this ordinance. Absolutely. This has got. This would be one on my top of my list. I'd say this is a big deal. So let's see yeah. what Jesus yeah. has to say, mm -hmm. and we'll let Jesus uh, help us understand if what we're doing is correct. Okay. And before we go on, because we're going to be using the Bible as our launching point right. for our for discussion tonight, would you explain to our viewers again why we can trust the Bible yeah. why, to, to tell us about the afterlife? And, and what, this is, uh, I mention this only because this is, what we, this is what we automatically do when we try and discern truth. For one thing, what we have in our hands, the, the Bible has come to us with uh, documentary evidence that far outstrips any other ancient document of its type. I mean, there's mm -hmm. more, there's more uh, original language documentation for the Bible, for the New Testament especially, than for like uh, the, the Greek works of Homer and Plato and Aristotle combined. We have, right. more, we have more confidence in what we have in the New Testament than right. we do for Aristotle. No one questions Aristotle. So that's right. one thing. These documents have come to us tested really well. Uh, these are copies of... Uh, first-hand witness accounts of what people saw and heard when they when they listened to Jesus. Mm -hmm. The apostles wrote. 
Um, that's really well known. And then you come back to the fact that these are the words of Jesus. Well, should we right. even give any weight to the words of Jesus? So some guys followed him and they wrote it down and then it's been documentarily kind of given to us. Why should we listen to what Jesus has to say about this? Well, uh, because he's the only one, it says, he's the only one who's been up there and come down here. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, so in that sense, he's transcendent. He's the only one that can tell us about issues of truth outside of mortality. Right. That's really, really important. Right. And uh, in fact, John the Baptist himself said this about Jesus. Uh, and uh, if you listen to what John the Baptist said in John 3, it says, John the Baptist speaking about Jesus, he said, he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earth earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven, talking about Jesus, is above all and what he hath seen and heard that he testifieth. Mm -hmm. So, I would submit that Jesus is probably our only good resource right. to find out what's Absolutely. going to happen after we die. Absolutely. Also, the big picture on the whole thing is the fact that uh, Jesus is the only one who has the authoritative position to say this because he's the only one who's ever died and been risen to life again. Mm -hmm. So he's conquered the whole death boundary he thing. Has. So he's uniquely qualified. So let's listen to what he said. Let's find out what the apostles recorded. Let's look at the documents that have been passed to us over these years, and let's just sit down and see what it says. That's our presumption mm -hmm, as we look mm -hmm. at this. And to defend God's character, of course, he promised that his word would never fail. Jesus yeah. promised his word would never, never fail. fail. Yeah. And they don't lie. They cannot lie. Jesus can't right, lie. God right. can't lie. And so we can trust what he said. So let's just honestly look, see what mm -hmm. it has to say about marriage. So how often does Jesus mention marriage in his New Testament teachings? Well, I started here. I mean, I know we want to aim toward this one trick question passage, yeah. but I thought, let me back back a second. What if I go into my electronic Bible, I've got a, you know, a soft one on my computer, and I'll type in these words. I'll type in the words um, married or, or marry or to marry or marriage or marries or marrying or weddings or wedded or all, all those words that have to do with marriage, basically, uh -huh. and find out how many times they occur. So I made a list to find out all the places, without question, all the places Jesus talked about marriage. Because I figured if marriage is a big deal, if it's in the top five of your doctrines, top one in fundamentalists, yeah. Let's see how much time Jesus spends talking about marriage and what he says about it. So this is, this, is the, uh, this is the comprehensive way to find out what did Jesus say on marriage. Just type in all those words. Yeah. And I got a list. Yeah, wow. And uh, the list I had has only 37 verses that actually have those words that are at the top of the screen right there. There's only 37 verses in all the four Gospels. There's fewer in the King James Version than the New American Standard because King James uses... Uh, metaphors like he had her for marriage, so I didn't put those yeah. in. Cause, but that's that's about what it is. And when I went down and actually started tallying them up, um, I'll just give you an idea what we're talking about. When he told the parable of the ten virgins, that, that's in one verse in Matthew. He talked about seating at a wedding feast. There's one verse about that in Luke. Uh, he talked about Herod marrying his brother's wife. That's one verse, but it uses the word married. Uh, Anna at the temple in Luke 2, there's one verse about that. The marriage at Cana. Uh, there's one verse about that in John 2. Uh, referring to the second coming, he, he comes up with three verses. When it gets to divorce, there's six verses wow. where he talks about divorce. Uh, and by the way, that's in three Gospels. When, uh, when he talks about the parable of the wedding feast, there's nine verses. That's a really big one. And then when you get to the trick question that we're talking about tonight, mm -hmm. 14 verses. This is the place where he mentions one of those words most often is in this passage right mm -hmm. here. But I'll just notice on the end of this list, celestial marriage, zero. zero. My goodness. Not a single place. That's... So hold that point for a second because that's troubling uh -huh. if it's in your top five of doctrines. Not yeah. once, not once 
in his entire life does Jesus mention celestial marriage in any of the four Gospels. Conspicuous by its absence. It is. For sure. Okay. Yeah. So in the, in the trick question I noticed in your list there, it's mentioned in three of the Gospels, Matthew, right, Mark, and right. Luke. Um, so which one are we going to read? We're going to read, we're going to read all three. All three of them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're going to do all three. Do that? Well, yeah, and it's a great it's a great biblical principle when you're looking at the Bible. You know, these are three um, semi-independent viewpoints on the life of Jesus. I mean, there's a little bit of overlap. Uh, they might have had the same people telling him stories, but they're pretty independent. So really, what we're looking at is three different witnesses looking at the same story, hearing the same story. We don't get conflicts, but we do get a little bit more information in some of them. And so if you put them all together, it's a great Bible study technique, and get the whole picture. Mm -hmm. The three speak as one, and you get the whole thing. So we'll be yeah. picking out of the three three passages we just showed on the screen, and uh, you can follow along with us. Okay, so we're, let's get started. Where are we going to start with it? Well... Let's, let's talk about the context. I, you know, I'm always accused of quoting Mormon things out of context. So I'm very acutely careful here to say, before we dive into Jesus' talk about this trick question, what's the context? So to get a context, you pull back and you look at what comes before and what comes after this particular thing. And what you find is that Jesus is, is in the middle of a public word battle is what's going on. It's really fascinating. There's, a, there's three different attempts in this section to take Jesus down by, by engaging him in a public debate that if Jesus loses, he'll be ridiculed, he'll be embarrassed, he'll ministry, his ministry will go away, and in some cases he could get arrested. Mm -hmm. Three of these. So mm -hmm. three groups come to him with these cleverly designed questions to take him down. That's their point, to take him down. Three questions, Jesus answers all three questions, and at the end of those three questions, he turns the table on them, and he asks one back hmm. that blows him away. Yeah. Now, uh, your viewers might actually know the first, the first interchange. The first interchange is, uh, Jesus, should we pay taxes? Remember that? Uh -huh. And that's, a, that's like a catch-22, because if you say yes or no, you're in trouble. Right. And, and so Jesus says, show me a coin, and says, whose picture is this? You know, Caesar, we'll render unto, everyone knows that one. That's the first of the three. The second of the three trick questions is the one we're going to look at tonight. Okay. And so, so that's what we're going to do. Um, let, me, let me also show you, if you look in Luke 20, uh, Luke actually sets up the context for us. And so we don't, we're not guessing about this. I'm just reading what we see. So Luke 20, 20, he says this. And they watched him, that is, watched Jesus, and they sent forth spies. <laughs> you know, guys in the background just <laughs> watching, CIA sneaking, yeah. <laughs> which, which should feign for themselves just men. So they're acting like people who are really interested in what Jesus is saying. Um, that they might take hold of his words. That take hold is the same word you use when you grab somebody and yank them away. It's, it's, it's basically to grab them. So they might take hold of his words. Uh, that, uh, so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor. Hmm. Whoa. And then in Mark 12, Mark 12, Mark sets it up also for us in a nice way. Uh, and they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch, to trap him in mm -hmm. his words. So this is exactly what's going on. We're in the middle of three of these attempts to take Jesus down. Yeah. 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 Okay. So uh, what was the cleverly constructed trap well, that they set up for Let's you? read it. <laughs> they, they think this is the best thing going. So we'll just read it. So here we go. We're going we're gonna to jump into Luke 20, if you're, if you're watching with us. Here's Luke 20. Then came to him certain of the Sadducees, uh, and Luke helps us understand, which deny that there is any resurrection. So we know who the Sadducees are. And they asked him, saying, Master, uh, Moses wrote unto us, if any man's brother die, having a wife, and he die without children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. 
Well, let me just stop right there for a second. That's actually accurate. You read at the beginning of the show mm -hmm. from Deuteronomy, mm -hmm. and that was uh, that's the whole idea of what what's called the Leverite marriage, or the or the uh, the Ubim is what the what it is in Hebrew. But the whole idea is that uh, a man and wife get married. The man dies before he can they can produce an oldest son, actually a son to inherit. Mm -hmm. So um, according to the law of Moses. His brother next one down, she should marry. They have a child. The first son actually is in the name of the dead brother. Right. So the dead brother's inheritance goes to this to this son. Well, uh, so they're saying this is true, right? This is what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Jesus can't say no. That's actually in it's Deuteronomy. In, so in that's where right. It. Okay. So that's not the trick. Here's the trick. So they go on, and they and they give him a hypothetical. So that being <laughs> true, they say this is Luke 20 verse 29. There were therefore seven brethren, seven brothers. And the first took a wife and died without children. Oh, and the second took her to wife and he died childless. And the third took her and in like manner the seven also. And they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, here's the trick question, you need a drum roll. Therefore, <laughs> in the resurrection, whose wife of them is she? For seven had her to wife. Wow. Huh, huh, huh. Well, they think they've got him trapped. Explain the trap to the viewers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's the trap. They're saying, now remember, uh, uh, Luke and, and Mark both told us, or at least Luke did, that the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. Right. So they're trying to say, here's the deal, Jesus. If these guys all married this same woman, they died, get married, died, get married, died, get married. And when the guy dies, well, of course he's going to die. And according to you, he's going to wake up in the resurrection expecting for life to just go on the way it was. And that means with his wife at his side. And yet all seven of the men are going to wake up, wake up hoping to have, you know, life goes on with their wife at their side. But that can't happen because she would be married to seven men simultaneously. Yeah. So there can't be a resurrection. <laughs> See, that's their logic. This is a trick question. Carefully put together, a lot of people think they probably sat, sat up nights for months devising this question. What can we ask him that he can't say yes or no to and get out of? Yeah, and, and, this and using the Old Testament scripture to using to Old Testament scripture, using a little bit of logic, because he can't deny the scripture. That's right. So the 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 logic sounds good, um, but weren't they working on a bad presumption there? I mean, they're presuming that if the resurrection existed, that marriages would have to continue. After exactly, it. and that's that's the core of their error. They presume that marriage goes past death. Mm -hmm. That's their error. And mm -hmm. Jesus is going to point that out in a second here. So if you're a viewer tonight and you're saying, I'm presuming marriage is going past death. Yeah. That was their core error that's in right. this trick question. If, that's, if that presumption isn't there, this is not a trick question. See, so yeah. the presumption is wrong. They're going to find out in just exactly. a second. So, so hold on to that. Yeah. So, so how does he challenge? Well, how does he respond to this? You know, previously they said, should we pay taxes? He said, here's a coin. Very clever. Yeah, here's how Jesus right. responds. So let's go back and we're going to go back. We're going to pick it up. Matthew 22. Mm -hmm. So Matthew 22, verse 29. Here's where he goes. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err. I love that phrase. <laughs> I <do>. <laughs> <laughs> Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Mm. Hmm. So Jesus comes right out and says, and this is very clear, if, if there's anyone married in heaven, you know, that has a, a husband, a wife, has a spouse, mm -hmm. the only way that's going to happen is if they get remarried, if they have a wedding ceremony in the mm -hmm. resurrection. Mm -hmm. That's the only way mm -hmm. it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But he's saying, but there are no weddings in the resurrection. So he's saying, 
these marriages you presently have don't carry through. And in fact, it's, it's clear by Mosaic law, by Moses' law, and we do this today, you know, a woman is not, is not um, sinning if she marries another man, if the first guy dies. Right. Because death severs Sep the marriage tie. Exactly, it And does. Jesus is just reinforcing it here. For all seven guys, death severed the marriage tie. So if you want any of these seven guys to be married in the, in the resurrection, they're going to have to get remarried because they've all been disconnected. Mm -hmm, with death. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a very clear, clear, straightforward question. None of these marriages are really carrying over into the resurrection. You've got to get remarried. And there are no weddings. And there are no remarriages. There are marriages no. in the resurrection. And that he very clearly says. He says they, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Right. That's the male-female version of it. Mm -hmm. They neither marry nor are given. That's what females are given right. in marriage. So, right. no, there's no wedding ceremonies. So, too bad. No one's married, Okay, is his answer. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to get into that a little bit because I, I know what's, what's going on in the people's head, or yeah. most of it, <laughs> anyway. But, but the, the Bible's clear that... Th that death ends yes. the, the uh, marital bond here mm -hmm, on the earth. Mm -hmm. Right. In Romans. And, Very clear. And there's one in Romans 7, 1, 3, uh, and there's also one in 1 Corinthians 7, 39. Right. What, right. That a woman is bound to her husband, but when he dies, she can remarry. She's and and same with the man. When, yeah. If his wife, the spouse yeah. dies, the marriage bond is dissolved. The end. Right. right. So right. clearly our mortal death releases us from marriage, and celestial marriage is never added as an option in it's any of these not there. passages no. where it talks about it. It seems to be absent. <laughs> okay. So what our Mormon viewers are thinking then are that the husbands weren't married for time and eternity, and um, they were only right. married for time, so their marriages couldn't extend into the resurrection unless they did have this right. and celestial that's, ceremony. And I think that's a natural way to think you know, from, from a Mormon theology perspective, but that brings up a much more troubling question, which is if, if there is celestial marriage, if there's eternal marriage, if there's marriage bonds that go past through death, this would be exactly the time Jesus would have turned to them and said this question. Mm -hmm. And the question would have been, to which man was she sealed in the temple? Yeah. That's what he should have that said. Because, have I, I mean, I can ask any Mormon person in the streets right now the same question. That's, that's the first thing they'd say. It depends on who's he's, who she's sealed to. Uh -huh. And she can only be sealed to one man. That's, that's law that's, today. That's in Mormonism. exactly right. Only one man. So who's the one man? Well, Jesus doesn't ask that. That's I think right. that's the troubling part of this whole thing. He could have used uh, celestial marriage, eternal marriage things to just completely, you know, get the sad. She's just like that. Oh, you fools, you idiots. It depends on who, she, who she's sealed to. Come on. But instead he says, you fools, you idiots. You don't know the scripture. You don't know the scriptures. <laughs> and, he, and he uses no celestial marriage arguments. Right. No ceilings in the temple. None at all. I think, I think for our viewers, that's to me the most troubling thing. Because if Jesus is going to talk about uh, the survivability of marriage through death, this is where he'll do it. Because they're asking. Marriage, does it go through mm -hmm. death into resurrection? And this is exactly where it come out. And I can see two arguments take place right here or, or you know, challenges if we run a conversation. Uh, and this cultural arguments. First one would be that celestial marriage, uh, when you have the celestial marriage ceremony, it automatically keeps you married for eternity. Mm -hmm. And you won't, so you won't need a ceremony there. Um, right. That, that it, it will dissolve the time aspect of your marriage, but not the eternity, not the eternity aspect right. of it. Right. 
Right. And the second argument I can see would be, well, if you aren't married when you die, you can't be married there. So you really must be sure that you get married Do it here. Now. Right. And right. and actually, there are some, in, especially in the early after the the eighteen uh, well nineteen oh four actually when they really when the Mormons gave up the, the real manifesto the, the, <laughs> the polygamy that's yeah. when they started to come up with these answers to these questions. They had to come yeah. up with new answers because yeah. they weren't living polygamy anymore. And that is, you have to get married here. Right, right. But the Bible's clear. Right. Your marriage is dissolved at death. Marriage stops at death. Yeah. Right. If it didn't, Jesus would have answered a completely different way. Yeah. But he's saying, just he's just saying, well, going to have to get remarried because no one dies and wakes up married. But there's no remarriage, and so but there's no remarriage it's all there. So there's void. no marriages. Yeah. Now he used the argument about be, we'd be like the angels. Oh yeah, right. and and right. and the angels are different for us. Now the polygamists and also the Mormons, the LDS, believe that angels are deceased human beings, right. and that right. that we can becoming uh, angels. Now definitely the angels are have never been humans, and humans don't become angels. They're a different species, totally different order of creation. Mm -hmm. My God. Exactly, and it, and that that's a a really important distinction to make because Jesus is using the distinction. Right. He's basically saying uh, there are no marriages in, in the resurrection because, well, because we'll be different. Because mm -hmm. we'll be different like angels are different. But angels aren't just sort of human. They're very different. That's right. And if you look biblically in terms of what angels are, yes, they're created beings. Uh, yes, they wield great power on God's behalf, God's power. Yes, mm -hmm. they communicate messages. In fact, that's what angel means as messenger. Mm -hmm. uh, they do all those things. Uh, and they're so powerful, in fact, in the end of Second Samuel, one angel just about took out all of Jerusalem yeah. because David sinned. So, I mean, yeah. these guys are not to be messed with, uh, but they're not men. No. There's, there's not a single place. And they've place. never been men. Never ever. been men. Never been humans. Yeah. Now, Jesus go, goes on to teach the Sadducees about the afterlife, and he never talks about families are forever. Strange, isn't it? <laughs> no, but he does decide that after we, you know, the marriage thing in this particular trick question was a vehicle to, to prove their point about how silly the resurrection is, you know. But uh, Jesus came back on the whole marriage thing and told them where we're at in marriage. But then he said, you know, we finally got to put this resurrection thing to bed. Mm -hmm. So here's my point about resurrection, he says. And let's just, let's just read what he says right here. It's in Mark 12. Um, so he's going to close out the conversation. And this is, this is like in a, in, a, in a classic boxing match. This is the right uppercut right here. So yeah. Jesus is going to come back. And he says, okay, Mark 12, 26. And as touching the dead, now we're not talking about touching dead bodies, it's touching on the issue of dead people. Mm -hmm. And as, as touching the dead, uh, that they rise, have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. <laughs> I just love that. You greatly err. He's telling them, don't you guys read your Bible? Yeah. And d didn't you hear God introduce himself to Moses 400 years after, well, more than that, after Abraham. And he calls himself in the present tense, basically in the vernacular, I am currently the God of Abraham. Right. Right. Abraham's alive. He's not dead. He's, he's alive. He's not dead. So uh, he, I am currently Abraham's God is basically what he's saying. So, so he asked them, he says, so what do you guys do with that? Mm. And their snappy comeback is <laughs> nothing. <laughs> he There's stopped nothing them. Recorded. He asked them a trick question. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's exactly what he did with the previous attempt from the Pharisees where they said, should we pay taxes? Show me the coin whose mm -hmm. picture Caesar's render unto Caesar. And they go, 
Next, Sadducees come up. Tell you what, seven guys. You know, yeah. so they've been shut down yeah. just as equally because That's Jesus right. is speaking straight out of the truth of the Old Testament. Right. Because they err, because they're ignorant about what it says. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I need to bring up right now. I also, again, the the, the mindset of, of oh, yeah. our culture right. is going to talk about progressive revelation. Yes. And Joseph Smith introduced that into Mormon doctrine, which justifies the changes and additions to the progressive revelation process. How does that concept apply to our discussion? Is there progressive revelation after what Jesus said that that would uh, make this false presumption much like what the Pharisees did with Jesus? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because with that argument, you can say that, well, what, what someone said back then doesn't apply to what happens now. It's a new dispensation. Yeah. You know, the dispensation where it says, oh, what was good for them is not necessarily good for us. We have new revelation. We're different right. people. Uh, right. That that's actually you don't really see that used <clears throat> biblically, and in fact, I think I think the most telling thing about this entire passage right here is when he shuts them down by going back to Moses and the burning bush, and the title for God going back to Abraham. He he's not just he's actually appealing to scriptures and truths that are more than a thousand years old. He's proving his case with something in a dispensation that should not apply a thousand years later. You would think. You'd think. But he's going way back and saying, no, this was the truth then, that's the truth now. So it's opposite of, of, it's of the, the LDS opposite. or Mormon doctrine because exactly he goes opposite. to the old, yeah. not making new. Yeah, and, and Jesus could have very easily said, well, you know, guys, we live in a new dispensation now. So, you know, what works now didn't work for Moses then. And so, you know, trust me, I can change things because I'm the son of God. Mm -hmm. No, mm -hmm. what he says is, I will make my arguments based on something that happened a thousand years ago mm. and longer. Wow. And, and all the way back to Abraham in terms mm -hmm. of how God's referred to back there. Now, that kind of approach Jesus uses to prove truth that, un, that doesn't change. And mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that's, not, that's not progressive revelation. In fact, when Jesus is tempted by Satan before he starts his ministry, how does he come back to Satan every time? Quoting it scriptures. He doesn't say... Here's a new dispensation. Right. He keeps going back. So what he reaffirms every time he has these conflicts is the stability and bedrock nature of old truth. It mm -hmm. doesn't change. It doesn't it's, change. It's what it is. Men change, but God doesn't change. God's eternal. Uh, his nature doesn't change. Um, I mean, it'd be the same thing. I'm, I'm trained mostly in science, right? And in science, one of the first things you do when you go through physics and chemistry and math is you learn the things that can't change. The, these things are a bedrock. They're mm -hmm. a bedrock. Right. And so if someone in the next year you take classes in physics say, well, you know, that physics last year. Yeah. Oh <laughs> We're in a boy. new dispensation of the universe right now. And so you can forget <laughs> about that gravity stuff. I think gravity doesn't really exist. No. Uh, in the sciences, there are hard, absolute facts. Now, our perspective changes. We are, we are kind of weak and challenged about how to understand reality. But there is only one reality. Mm -hmm. And so when Jesus is telling us about the way things really are, remember he's from outside. Right. He can bring us reliable information. He's telling us about something that doesn't change. It's rock solid, unchangeable. And in his arguments, he appeals back to truth that's been written down a thousand years before. Right. Absolutely. So. And he and the Bible. And, he, and also the Book of Mormon tells us that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can't we can't apply any changes. Moroni eight eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Our good friend Aaron Shafawalaf. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if I said that right. Sorry, yeah. Aaron. But yeah, yeah, exactly. So at least at least Joseph Smith, when he first composed the Book of Mormon, understood from kind of a Protestant Christian background that God doesn't change. He's he is not like us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm -hmm. That's what it that's what it says in Hebrews. 
Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, be not carried away about, uh, about with diverse and strange doctrines. Yeah. I think it's interesting those are put side by side. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by diverse doctrines. By any other doctrine. Yeah. Any other doctrine. He doesn't change. Okay. Um, well, you know, we're getting to um, the time when we need to open up the telephones. Yeah. So we can maybe summarize after yeah, after we do, do the phone call. So we'll we'll um, open up the telephone lines now. The number is 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear any questions you have or comments. Or if you disagree, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you peacefully if you disagree <laughs> with what we say. So while we're waiting for the phone calls to come in, give us a call. Don't wait till five minutes till to call in or you won't get in. Call us now and we do have our ministry message to share with you. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877 425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group Life After Polygamy where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place call us toll free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we've made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, Free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, Recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen. And we have been talking about celestial marriage. 
Um, in the Mormon mind, that's going to be temple uh, ceremony, but in the polygamous mind, that's polygamy because that's exactly what Joseph Smith called it. He mm. called it celestial marriage, and the early Mormons and the early polygamists all referred to polygamy as celestial marriage, as revealed by Joseph Smith in Doctrine and Covenants section 132. We've been talking about and discussing uh, when the Sadducees and the Pharisees came to Jesus and they tried to trick him with a question uh, that was based on a, a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Our guest is Jim Catlin, Pastor Jim Catlin from Brigham City, uh, church in Brigham City, and we've been talking about a progressive revelation when we when we ended our discussion before right. the break. Um, the pro progressive revelation kind of gives them a, a huge um, um, opening to just kind of add to already. Right, uh, and it doesn't have to be consistent with anything in the past. That, right, that right. Yeah. Because so it's an important thing we need to talk about because we are presuming that what we read in the Bible is stable and eternally said, just like Jesus did when he quoted it. Um, but that's not a value shared by a lot of our viewers. So mm -hmm. um, what I find, what I find, um, I, I listen to a lot of ex-Mormon um, things, <laughs> podcasts and stuff. Uh, not, and they're not Christians necessarily. They're just disenchanted with the Mormon church. Mm -hmm. um, but one of, the, one of the chief things they say over and over, probably in the top five things they say is, Mormon doctrine is so darn hard to pin down. Yeah. Because it, you know, don't quote to me Brigham Young because we're in a new dispensation, and don't quote to me Joseph Smith, and don't necessarily quote to me the Book of Mormon or even the Doctrine and Covenants. So you ask them, so where is truth? Well, it's what someone most recently said, or they teach, and they say, you know, frankly, that's partially why I left the church because you can't quite pin it down. Yeah. And, and that's what this kind of progressive revelation does. I, as I think about it, kind of humorously, it reminds me of the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes. Remember Calvin and Hobbes and Calvin and his kind of imaginary tiger friend? They would play this game called Calvin Ball. And Calvin Ball didn't have any rules at all. I mean, what they would do is they'd go out there and they'd make up the rules as they go. And as the advantage got to them, you know, they would, they would change the rules so it would go to their way. So here's Calvin. And he's saying, hey, the only permanent rule in Calvin Ball is, well, is that you, you can't play it the same way twice. And, and so Hobbes says, yeah, the score is still Q to 12. So... And I, and I want to be respectful here, but that's, that that's a lot of what happened. Progressive <laughs> oh, revelation brings goodness. that kind of confusion. Yeah. So the rules back in 1830 were one thing, but the rules, the rules in the early 20th century are something else, and the rules in the later 20th century are something else, and the rules now in the early 21st century are yeah. different. So yeah. you had to have multiple wives back in the 19th century, and that was required, or you'd be damned. Well, not anymore. 20th yeah. century, you don't need to do that. But, oh, by the way you can't be black. Oh, well, now you can be black and be in the priesthood. See, and so uh -huh, it's it keeps, ever changing. it's Calvin yeah. Ball. Uh -huh. And so there's a kind of a, no, when, when you look at Jesus, Jesus doesn't play Calvin Ball with doctrine in the Bible. He goes back and quotes solid, stable truths that last right. forever because the reality of the spiritual realm is eternal and unchanging. Mm -hmm. And so this should be too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. You had a verse in Jeremiah 31, a couple of verses in Jeremiah oh, yeah. 31 you wanted to share with us. Um, do you want me to read it? or do you? Want yeah, go to? ahead, read it. Uh, it. It's Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 and 33, and it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it on their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now this is talking mm. about a new covenant. A new covenant. And we've been talking about what Joseph Smith called right. the new and everlasting covenant. Right. 
And you would say, well, aha, there's progressive revelation, yeah. new, a new covenant in Jeremiah 31. Yeah, but if you read it, it's not a new covenant. Uh, it is a new covenant. But what's new is, is where the law resides. Where it's, it's not at. the content of the law. He's not changing what makes for righteous behavior. Like, well, okay, this week, the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, we got to add polygamy. Yeah, gonna, right, no. right. He says, I'm going to take the law, which is stable and a statement of truth and righteousness, and instead of it being an external thing that's written on stone, I'm going to write it on your heart so it'll be something you actually love and will work its way out from the inside of you out. It's not something you're trying to apply from the outside in. So it's, it's an important lesson as you look at that verse to understand that, that new revelation in that sense doesn't change the content of what righteousness is. It doesn't keep amending to it and now we have to have blood atonement and oh yes, right. uh, you know, Adam was God. No, he wasn't. I'm changing my mind. Yeah. No, it's the fact that here truth is now incorporated into our hearts and mm -hmm. we don't have enough time to talk. Maybe we'll talk Jeremiah 31 a whole time next time. But, maybe so. That'd be but even good, when you're talking about New Covenant in the Old Testament, it's not start over, add stuff to it. It's a, it's a new place it resides. Right, that's, right. That's and it's from thing. within. And, and right. so, okay. Uh, we got some phone calls coming in, so let's take them. The first one is Gwenda is calling from Ogden. Or no, that's line two. Hello, Gwenda. Hello. Yes, you're on the, on the air. Well, thank you. Uh-huh. Hi, Doris. Hello. You're on the hear air. You're, yeah, I can hear you. We're on the air. What's your question? Okay. Uh, I'm not a Mormon. I have, um, nor a polygamist have I been, but I was a Mormon at one time. But anyway, I liked the discussion tonight, but I did have a question come up in my mind. It's something I've never really thought about before I heard your discussion on this. But uh, what about the marriage supper of the Lamb? with the church and the, uh, as the bride of Christ and the marriage to Christ, is that not considered a marriage and the marriage supper? Well, certainly not the same context that the, that the polygamists believe that there's going to be celestial marriage, but I'll let you well, approach that. Yeah, I mean, great observation, because we have, we have this on some of our notes to talk about later too, but there, there really is just one marriage that happens in the end of time, and that's between Christ and his church. Uh-huh. And so, uh, so if we we're all married to each other instead, that would kind of wreck that. <laughs> well, and it's not, so. it's a different marriage. He's different just marriage. he's just yeah. bringing together the, his all the people that came under his covenant that he made at the cross. Right. And there's not eternal lives. There's not eternal um, um, propagation of this right. of our species like the the, the Mormon yeah, doctrine teaches. This, so it's totally different. It's kind of uh, the word is being used sort of metaphorically for yeah. uh, a final consummation union, uh -huh. but it's not the same marriage as we I was sort of waiting for you to address it, because it just came up and I thought, well, there yeah. is a marriage, at least this, the word marriage is used in that, and I kept thinking maybe you'd talk about it, but I hadn't ever really thought about it before, well, <laughs> so well, I just thought Christ, I'd bring that up. That, and that is a good question, and you know, Christ's church, is, and that's not the Mormon church or the polygamy groups or any At other length. particular church, it's, it's all believers uh, throughout the world of all time. And, and, and his church is called the Bride, the Bride of right. Christ. One bride, by the way, one bride. And, and so the, his bride, his loved one, comes together with him after all of this is over. Yeah, I, I, is. I got it. I just thought, it, you know, that it might be good to kind of clarify that because it is said at, used as the marriage supper. So mm -hmm. and right. I think that's good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, appreciate your call. Good observation. Mm -hmm. Okay, we have Riley calling in Moab. Hello, Riley. Hello, how are you doing tonight? Very good, thank you. You're on the air. What's your question or comment? 
Well, my question was, it, uh, I believe Mr. Catlin there brought up a couple times of how the Sadducees read the Scripture. <coughs> and and I was kind of wondering at, at what time, you, and you mentioned both of you that said that they read the Bible. <laughs> and I don't know if you meant that or whether it was just a, a comment that, I'm not quite sure, but I'm just trying to have your understanding of what you meant by them reading the scripture at that time, because I don't believe in my studies of things that that was ever existed at the time. Good, uh, good question. Well, they, I'm saying they read the same Old Testament Bible that we read, um, the Torah. You know, the, who? who? The, the Sadducees read the same Old Testament Bible that we read. That we have. Yeah. yeah uh huh. They have uh, the same scriptures. Yeah, the, the Torah, the first five <laughs> books of the Bible. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That for sure. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. That's not even close to fact. That's, oh, that's not close to fact. Good heavens! <laughs> what did they read then? Well, was the, do you read the King James version? Or? I, I read that in about four of the different versions. Yeah, and so but you have the, the original copy that they had back then. It's the same words. It's the same teachings. They had the Septuagint, which was the Hebrew translated into the Greek. Uh, I'll tell you, you, you'd have a black eye if you challenged a rabbi and told him that you're not reading the same Bible they read thousands of years ago. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's ridiculous for you to say that they read the same Bible that we well, do today. It's not even true. Let me say this. They didn't, they're not reading the English Bible. Is that what you mean? They're reading the Hebrew Bible. Wait, not even the same scripture. Yeah. It's not the same this, scripture? The Bible we have today was revamped by by the the court of uh, Catholic priests back then. I can't remember the name yeah. of it right now. Well, you know, yeah. there, there's one proof that proves that completely wrong. Yeah. Do you know Do you know anything about the Dead Sea Scrolls? Well, sure. Yeah. Well, the dead, scripture to you? The Dead Sea Scrolls were put in a cave about, I don't know, 100, 200 B.C., and that the council that you say corrupted it existed five to six hundred years later. So do you read the Dead Sea Scroll of Scripture? No, do you understand what I'm saying, though? Oh, yeah. yeah. They're saying the people that corrupted the Jews' Bible corrupted it 600 years after the copy we dug out of the ground. <laughs> do you understand? Oh I, oh, I understand that you're completely wrong. But I, I, well, well, wait, what are, we, what are we wrong on? It's simple logic. What's that? Yeah, what, tell us what we're wrong on, because it's very simple logic. No, it, 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 the, the thing that's really not logical is you telling me what you understand the Scriptures to be today, because it's not the Scriptures they read back then. Well, our strongest testimony of the fact that they read the same Scriptures we did is the Dead Sea Scrolls that preceded the guys you're talking about by 600 years. Well, 500 so, years. So what we have is the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea Scrolls in our scriptures today? Mm -hmm. Yes. Some of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah every, I think Dead every sea book scrolls, of Esther, some of it? isn't it? Doris, is that what you said? Some of it? Yeah, every book of the Old Testament is included except Esther. It's the Psalms of Solomon, book of scripture that came from the Dead Sea Scrolls? Yep. Yep. Yep, that same book that Joseph Smith won't accept. And it proved that it was accurate, too, because the reading is accurate to what we have today. By Proved by what? Being accurate. Well, we can compare. We can just compare what we read to what we read in the Bible to what was on the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, uh, you guys are amazing! But thank you for your time tonight. Well, well, look into it. Look into it, Riley, because it's actually very simple logic. The yeah. very people that most people claim con contaminated the Old Testament, you know, came after the Dead Sea Scrolls. We read the Dead Sea Scrolls; they're not contaminated. I would think that a scientist would have a little more logic than 
just might it's be. It's the scientists that have discovered all of this, by the way. Thank you for your time tonight. Good night. You bet. Okay. Okay, well. Sometimes the simple things. We, yeah, we, we just want him to check it out, and <laughs> yeah. he hasn't obviously checked it out. He's, he's talking about what he's heard other people say, right. and he hasn't studied it for himself. Right. That's why we always say, check it out, folks. Maybe we okay. should have a show on Dead Sea Scrolls sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Line one, Thelma in Layton. Hello, Thelma. Yes? Yes, you're on the air, Thelma. What's your question? Yes. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 7, it tells about hus husband and wives being married, and if she, her husband be living, and she goes off with another man, she's committing adultery. Well, I read, keep reading, does it say anything about her husband leaving her? What would he be doing, you know, committing for another woman instead of, the woman leaving and being adulterer, would he be the same? Yes. Yes. <laughs> God doesn't make rules for men and different rules for women. Yeah. In that respect, certainly not moral rules. Men are not given a special edge to go out and marry other women. Uh, that you know, that, that's that's called uh, adultery just as much. Mm-hmm. It is. What does it say? It, when it says a man or a woman, it, it means a spouse because a, a man or a, a wife, either one of them stepping out and going with someone else um, when they're married is adultery. That's for correct. him too. You betcha. For, uh -huh. It doesn't, I don't understand what it says about him. He, he runs off with another woman. If he runs off with another woman and divorces his wife, he's guilty of adultery. He's still guilty of adultery. Right. Mm -hmm. But the passage in Romans 7 is, is more principally about uh, how someone can remarry legally. They can remarry legally if your spouse dies. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what it talks about. But, but it doesn't say if he does, though she be living, if he well, it's just under, it's, it's just understood that if, if uh, the, the, the same thing goes with either spouse. Either, it's understood. It just, in, in the Ten Commandments, it says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And right. that's not just for the man or just for the woman. It's for both. So obviously, uh, any reference to it throughout the Bible is meaning both the sp either spouse. Yeah. Well, I didn't, didn't see anything written in there that said he would be committing adultery too. Well, he, he is because God does not, uh, he doesn't show any favoritism. If he dies, she's a free of the law, mm -hmm. of adulteress. Do you have she, any other questions? She question? can be married to another man. Do you have any further question on this? No, that's okay. all I wanted to know is why he wasn't Well, he is. Too. He is. God judges the adulterer, it says, whether it's a man or a woman. He doesn't show favoritism. Well, I, I okay. read it over and over, and I couldn't see it that they said anything okay. about it. Well, it's all through the Bible. It's, maybe it's not in that one particular passage, but the entire Bible talks about that. But thank you for your call. We have another call coming in. Okay. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye. Line two, Daryl calling from West Valley. Hello, Daryl. Hello. Hello. Yes, Daryl, you're on the air. What's your question? Is this door? Yes, it is. Okay, Doris, this is uh, Doral. I've, I've called before and I've listened to you 
a long time, and I'm a I'm a Mormon, and but I would compliment you, uh, uh, Doris. I think you've got a compelling story. I uh, I think that you are probably as good of an investigative reporter that I've ever seen, and I. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying at this point in time that I agree with you on everything, but I I do say what I said. I also am highly impressed with uh, Jim Catlin. So and am I. I've heard him before, <laughs> and I've taken notes on what he said. Mm-hmm. And I like uh, his presentation tonight, and I think uh, it's uh, very compelling. Uh, but what I would like to do is uh, be able to is, is is be able somehow be able to talk to Jim sometime, not necessarily tonight, but if there's some way I could uh, call him up for his headquartered in Brigham City. So if I could get get a number there that I could call him, I really would like to talk to him. Yeah, absolutely, Daryl. I'd love to talk to you. We're in the phone book. Uh, or if you got a computer, you can Google us. We're the only Main Street Church in Brigham City, and we don't have a headquarters. We just have a little church building. Okay, and, and, so and Darryl, it's you the, can also it's leave the, your uh, Brigham City. Daryl, why don't you leave your telephone number with the operator when yeah. we're done with this call, and then Jim can give you a call. Yeah. Okay, because there's, um, and I think I think on your presentation tonight. Uh, now. I suppose the only way that I, as, as a Mormon, could really deny it would be to uh, say that I didn't believe the Bible. And uh, so, but anyhow, right. I'll, I'll uh, leave my number, and then I'll uh, I'll talk to you some other time. Okay. Yeah, and Daryl, I'll just kind of underscore, we're, we're very careful to make sure that what we're talking about isn't just our opinion or the opinion right. of a denomination or the opinion of what someone else told us. We just want to find out what the Bible says, and God gives us brains and hearts and to be able to right. read it and understand. So. I appreciate that, and, and I appreciate your, your your presentation. It's been very, very good, and I'll, I'll talk to you at some other time. Okay. Great. Look forward to it. That'd Thank be great. you very much. Thank you. Okay. Well, we've got um, about 20 seconds. Can we answer this question off the air? Can a woman be married twice in the temple? No. <laughs> well, that's a... <laughs> That's an LDS question. She, I think yeah. that's a no. Yeah, yeah, that that's a no yeah. unless she gets a, a divorce. Well, so, because you'd be sealed to too many men in the that resurrection. That's verboten. That can't yeah. be. Well, yeah. thank you, Jim. I appreciate yeah, you coming, and we appreciate you watching the show tonight. You know, we're going to talk about the new and everlasting covenant on the show uh, almost every time. It's a, a covenant that was revealed to Joseph Smith, and as the revelation of plural marriage, and it's described in section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And all the early Mormons and the polygamists understood that polygamy was the new and everlasting covenant and that obeying plural marriage was essential for celestial glory. However, Jesus Christ, on the night before he was crucified and during the Last Supper with his disciples, he partook of bread and wine. And with the bread and the wine, Jesus initiated what he called the new covenant in my blood. 
referring to his upcoming death on the cross. Now truly, the new covenant he referred to is the covenant of grace in which he purchased eternal life for everyone who would believe and trust him alone for eternal life. The new covenant is something that we enter into when we become born again, and this covenant was written and sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross. Now, if celestial marriage is the new and everlasting covenant, then Jesus' death on the cross is no longer the new covenant. His blood shed for our sins has been replaced by celestial marriage. The doctrine of celestial marriage becomes more important than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And polygamy has therefore replaced the payment and the forgiveness of our sins. What an empty and hopeless doctrine that celestial marriage turns out to be. How can anyone desire a newer covenant the one than the one already established by Jesus, one that will wipe our sins clean away and will guarantee eternal joy and bliss with Jesus Christ? Do you really want something less than that? Why not just toss it all out and turn to Jesus and cling to Him alone? Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.